Welcome to Precept Responsibly, a podcast working to make precepting approachable over happy hour. I'm Jason Mordino. And I'm David Hughes. Let's get into some precepting. All right, listeners, welcome back. Welcome back. Another episode in session. Um, We have a couple updates today um, before we start the episode. And for any of you that have been listening for the last... I don't know, a year now, there's been numerous jokes about how I lost all credibility for switching careers and going to Pfizer and how I don't belong in a preceptor world. Um, Mostly joking. But (laughs) my co-host and friend has some exciting news. And for those that haven't heard, Jason has an update in his career and I am going to turn it over to him. But before I do that, I'm going to tell you what I'm drinking because I I needed a beer as soon as he dropped this knowledge on me. Um, I am drinking a Goth Beach Party, is the name of the beer. It is from Bosque Brew Works, which is just outside of Seattle. And um, I gotta shout out my, my colleague, Renee, uh, who works with me. And um, her husband owns this brewery and started making his own beers and, and ultimately built his own brewery um, out in Seattle. So shout out to them. It's delicious beer. Uh, if you're ever out in the Seattle area, check them out. But I will digress. And Jason, what's your update for this crowd so everyone can be mind blown like I was? You know, I thought I was, I, I wish I was able to tell people I was going to be a, a brewery owner, but uh, that is unfortunately not the news. Um, actually, uh, after eight long years of being a PGO on RPD and uh, pharmacy education manager uh, at Boston Medical Center, uh, this August, I'm leaving. Uh, I'm going to go up to Northern Maine, uh, all the way up to Bangor. I'm going to serve as the system level clinical director. Now, I'm sure, just like Dave mentioned, uh, while I won't be directly involved in overseeing, uh, you know, residencies day to day, I will still have involvement in residency programs. I will still uh, oversee a residency program uh, with an RPD under me at uh, you Northern sound just Lights. like me. You sound just what? like me. You sound just like me making excuses. I, yeah, you got fellows though. You got you got direct fellows to work with. Um, you know, I'll still have rotations with preceptors, and uh, I have a lot of experience that I can I can kind of lean back on. Um, but as we've always done here, at precept responsibly. Uh, it's about having guests. It's about having other people who are also experts on. Uh, while Dave and I have a lot of experience to share, and and Spencer is rapidly growing his experiences to share. Uh, it's very much about our guests. So. He'll probably take uh, one of our spots at some point and just push yeah. us out and say, you guys need to graduate. <laughs> I mean, that's a great way to set this up, right? You uh, you teach them how to do it, they do it, and then eventually they get to be Santa Claus and, and give all the uh, excitement uh, that you used to do as a former RPD, etc. So um, I am also, I'm drinking a Jack's Abbey uh, Haponius Union today uh, as I start to get nostalgic for uh, living in the Massachusetts area and move north. Uh, I'm going to try to hit a bunch of local breweries and get what I can. Um, but I am really excited to introduce uh, our guest today uh, and the topic, uh, which we're going to be talking about. Uh, Eugene, welcome to Precept Responsibly. What do you got to drink? What's your background? And uh, we'll go from there. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, excited to be here. I know the term uh, expert was thrown around here, um, and I wouldn't necessarily call myself an expert in anything. Um, I think more an observer, 
more than anything else. You're too modest. You're you're, you're too seriously. Modest. Seriously. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because I think we learn from our environment, and I think that's kind of fitting for today and what I think what we'll head into. Um, but you know, you asked me about what I'm drinking. Um, first off, I'm drinking from a cup um, given to me by my current class, who is just graduating right now. Um, so I think that that's pretty cool, and I think it's fitting. And I'm drinking um, a bottle of Blanton's um, of bourbon. Nice. Yeah, given by oh. my first class. So. Oh, that's fitting. Yeah. Dang. Eugene, yeah. why don't class you? Uh, where Where's the class from? Give us a little bit of background about your uh, your clinical role and um and where you practice. Yeah. So. Um, I am a clinical specialist at Roswell Park Cancer Center, um, and I've been here now, I don't know, six years. Um, I've been RPD now going on four years, my, my fourth class. Um, before that, I was at um, a local hospital, ECMC, where I, I developed the oncology practice there. And and that's kind of, uh, I've had teaching and precepting all along, uh, students and residents pretty much all all along. Awesome. Well, we're excited to have you. I'm always excited. I'm even more excited that there's an oncology pharmacist on the line with me. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I think to just tee up the the topic today um, and, and what we're going to be talking about is this concept of navigating a VUCA world, and that is V-U-C-A, VUCA. Um, and when, you know, Eugene and I and Jason, we we kind of had an informal conversation at mid-year last year, and and we started kind of talking about, you know, different concepts and in and, and a changing environment. And I had to do a little bit of background reading on this myself, but as Eugene brought this, brought this up, I, I really thought it was a cool topic and, and definitely a timely one, um, as I hope many of the listeners will enjoy today. Um, so I, I think just to kick us off, you know, as we think about that term VUCA, Eugene, can you can you tell us what the heck that word is, um, and ultimately where the it, it, the uh, the roots of the word come from? Yeah, you know, I think it was something that um, I've kind of noticed throughout uh, many years of practice, and I really didn't have a good way to describe. I think what I've I've seen. Um, it wasn't until we did um, a bunch of us in, in our organization did the PLA class last year and the term was introduced to us. So VUCA stands for volatility, the V, uh, uncertainty, the U, the C is complexity, and the A is ambiguity. And really, it's a um, it's kind of a way to describe the world that we live in. And the term actually comes from the U.S. Army. Army College. Um, it was used to describe the post-Cold War era and the challenges and the uh, hurdles that, you know, people would be faced with and, and, and to describe that. But I think ultimately what we can appreciate from our environment is that, um, you know, there is a lot of dynamic um, players at play every day and in practice and in the socio-political atmosphere that we live in, um, in terms of our practice, in terms of our organizations, in terms of, um, you know, I think even our day-to-day -day stuff. 
Um, and so, you know, when you think about volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, you know, I think the one thing that I've noticed even early on when I was still a new preceptor was that you would hear from older pharmacists and older uh, mentors, preceptors is the idea of, well, students, trainees, they, um, they aren't the way they used to be. And I don't know if either of you have ever heard that term before or that, that, that saying before. Um, and I think to, to some extent, there's some truth in it that, yes, the world is changing. It's dynamic. It's evolving. Um, but you have to move with it. Eugene, yeah, like, yeah, the amount of times I have heard of my life back in my day, residency was like this or um you know, I, I always I satirize it by saying, what did you walk uphill both ways with no shoes on uh, to, to like satirize like kind of that experience of like, well, it was harder for me or uh, it was better back in the day. And, and now it's like, you know, no one is engaged or uh, interested, et cetera. And, and I think what you're really like pointing out here is that like, yeah, it was different back then. That doesn't make it better or worse. It was just different. And it's because the world constantly changes and there is no way unless you are Superman to rewind the world uh, back to the way it was. Right. So, we, so I think when we, we, you know, when we think about change, the, the, this, these changes, right, you, you kind of set up and, and queued it up nice that, that this term really came from the post cold war time where, where the environment in the, in the United States had to, had to kind of mold itself right. And adapt to the, to the change. So what, Maybe set the stage. What are what are I guess some examples that we've seen in the last year that have really affected you know your your practice? Yeah, you know I think um, and you know I took over the pro program in the Perry COVID era and you know kind of seeing that and I think you can go a little further back than that, but we can start with 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 COVID and you know what COVID brought for. Uh, programs, schools of pharmacy, um, you know, the education system, healthcare as a whole. You know, I thought you you see the importance of of healthcare healthcare workers for sure, uh, but you also see saw a shift to working from home, and uh, you know, for a period of time, even in my role, you know, we were working from home, and in a, in a role where we thought we were, you know, always at the bedside, always on site. Um, then you have other socio-political events like Black Lives Matter. Um, you know there have been these these concepts of quiet quitting, um, working from home, um, a whole bunch of other things. And then if you look even deeper into, you know, I think healthcare, you have um, you know women's rights and the impact of um, you know some of the changes there on how we practice as pharmacists. You have um, you know, this uh, pharmacoequity uh, term that's now being used to describe uh, social uh, disparities. Um, and so you see that the world isn't just simply knowing what is uh, the frontline treatment for hypertension. You see that there's a lot more that comes into play, you know, on, on a whole whole different level and in a whole different, in all these different ways, right? Like we have these sociopolitical and, and again, I'm not I'm not on one side of the fence or the other. I just acknowledging that these things are these changes are rapidly coming on us. And 
we as um, individuals need to adapt, evolve. Um, and the term that we use to describe that is agility. Um, we need to apply that to our practice and, and to our, and to, you know, our way of life. And I think like one thing that, that really hits, right, is, is maybe coming back to that term, residents and, and learners are not what they used to be. Well, neither is the world, right? So like mm-hmm. understanding it is a fact that residents and learners are probably not going to be what they used to be because we now have all of these concepts. I mean, I, when I was a resident, I never worked from home. When I was in practice until COVID, I did not work from home. And, and right. And I, I come from primarily ambulatory practice and that was a shakeup, right? Like, you know, ambulatory practice, how are you going to deliver ambulatory medicine, pharmacy practice in a virtual world? But yet, you know, there were all these conversations of how to make it more convenient and the nuances and all of these things for patients. And we adapted to that. And ultimately, you know, we we continue to have that post-COVID. And I think, you know, we would say that that is an effective change for the health system. But like as learners, we constantly think, okay, it's negative, it, it's negatively impacting. And I think when we, we kind of take those two in, in, in together and say it, we should be more okay with accepting that, you know, it's okay that we change the expectations of learners over time. Is that fair? Yeah, I think ultimately, you know, the challenges that we face are really just opportunities to kind of move in a new direction. And, um, you know, I think that that's really important is that, yeah, you know, I think working from home or whatever it may be, may be uh, challenging, it may bring on new hurdles, but at the same time, it allows for, you know, the advancement of the profession. And I think that that um, is really, really important. And so, you know, when thinking about agility, it's about overcoming challenges, sure, but it's also about moving forward and um, taking what we have and and making it something else, right? Lemons turning into lemonade. Yeah. Eugene, I am reflecting on like two kind of things about this. One is, are you saying that the movement to make pharmacy great again is probably going to fail? <laughs> you went there. <laughs> Uh, and you don't have to answer that question. It's satirical. It is it is purposely uh, left open to no answer. But um, the other thing to this is like we've talked a lot about like external factors to like pharmacy and like some of the um, like world events that are going on that, that certainly do create a lot of volatility, uncertainty and complexity. But I, I even think like some of the things internal, like we talk a lot about like the declining admission rates to pharmacy schools. We talk about the declining um, applications to residency programs. We talk about, um, you know, the transition yeah. and more folks from the inpatient side to ambulatory care. And like there are things about our health system that are changing and we can't change them back. We can't go back from a value-based payer back to a fee-for-service. Like, it's just not a direction that we can go in, in current state. And so we have to adapt to it. And and these are, like, built-in things that are changing in, in pharmacy in general. Yeah, I think you brought up a couple of good points there. And and certainly, you know, the declining admission rates and the decline, declining applicants into pharmacy schools um, they're going to, you know, you saw a drop in uh, residency applications this past year. And, you know, we're only at, you know, I think it's only hitting the pharmacy schools now. So we're going to see a change from a program standpoint 
in the next four to three to four years, right? Um, and that's very problematic. And so we have to rethink, you know, our training as, you know, as much as we are uh, trying to, you know, candidates are trying to sell to us, we have to sell to them to some extent and look at um, really trying to promote the opportunities and, and the growth potential that programs have. Um, and you have to start to be aggressive in, in that. Um, I was I had a conversation with our director today, and he had mentioned that two of our local schools within the in, in within the early you know within about 100 miles of here, two of them are almost all virtual outside of wet labs and rotations. And imagine a virtual pharmacy school. Oh, so, boy. right. And so, what does that do to you know a field that's traditionally very hands-on, very on-site? Um, and, and what that means for us. So, um, it really does mean that we have to be, um, like I said, agile in, in finding solutions that, that move us forward. I mean, that's, it, you're, you're bringing up perfect examples of like how we do this. And I want to take a step forward and think, right. And as we think of the big picture residency, how do we, how do we start to, and again, I don't mean to use the term residency by itself, but generally for any learner, how do we start incorporating some of these concepts into pharmacy education? And I guess maybe some of the things eventually that you are doing at, at Roswell that ultimately help build this environment for your program. Yeah, I think that that's a, that's the million dollar question. And, you know, I, at the top of the, the, the talk, you know, we are, uh, I said that I'm not an expert, more of an observer, right? Like, I think there's, uh, you know, you have, I, I have a little bit of humility, or I hope I have a little bit of humility and, and trying to realize that um, my way is not the perfect way. And I think every way, everyone's way is going to be a little bit different. And, you know, I think at the heart of being agile, agile, that's what it means, right? Like, kind of have to move in ways that, you know, solve your problems and everyone's problems are similar, but they're different. Um, you know, and I think of, you know, some of the things that we have tried to do um, to help improve um, people's agility and awareness of VUCA. You know, I think the first thing, you know, taking over in the COVID era, um, you know, the first thing that we did was really to make sure that um, in that moment, and again, this is probably a little bit old, but in that moment, you know, we created, um, you know, some guide work, guidelines and policies related to rotations when people were out due to sick leave and, um, you know, if they, they got came down with COVID. And so, you know, there was a pandemic policy that we created out of that, um, you know, to, to show that adaptability. And, um, you know, I think that that helped preserve and and provide some it was it was a quick response to um you know potential problem and i think that those type of um interventions you know to to act and intervene in a timely manner are really important okay. you know i think um in addition to that you know we we came out with a well-being policy we developed a well-being policy with everyone on the staff and try to try to take the well-being kind of idea beyond just the residency program and into the department as a whole and um, have, you know, sort of implemented a well-being task force. Now, 
um, well-being is also kind of a pedestal for me as well. And just to step on that for just a minute, um, you know, I think we know that pizza doesn't work. Um, <laughs> it's not a good thing. Um, I, I mean, I like pizza. And I'll, I'll I was going to say, pizza, I don't <laughs> say pizza is not a good thing, but I, I hear what you're saying, Eugene. I, it's not the only solution. Right. Yeah. But, the, but, you know, I think what it what it means, though, and where I'm going with this is that institutions, the enterprises itself really needs to take on a large responsibility of well-being mm. and really try to um, provide an environment that one is responsive to um, concerns um, that understands the challenges and demands of the of the field, not just you know trainees, but us in general, mm. um, and focus on you know system sim- systems wide um, processes and, and things that can help enhance people's fulfillment and well being. You know, I, things like yoga and pizza are great, but I think they're only part of the solution, right? Yeah, absolutely, Eugene. And and like, what are some of the things that you're finding that are effective in engaging your residents in, in this conversation? I think like, you know, we all feel like we can put together like a well-being manual and like a list of things to yeah. do and mandatory modules. But like, I think the piece that's almost always missing is the engagement in the conversation. So like, how, how are you guys incorporating that piece um, specifically in well-being, but but also importantly in like understanding each one of these pieces and that like life's going to change for them. Yeah. You know, I think ultimately, um, and you know, you guys, I know you're joking about leaving preceptorship in your official roles, but you know, I think you, you all recognize the importance and I, and I, I listened to, um, Kamakshi's, um, podcast a couple weeks ago um and she was talking about psychological safety i think Mm. and um i think it's important to to also emphasize that and revisit that and realize in and in case no one listened to anyone didn't listen to that episode i do encourage both parts because it was really really good but um psychological safety is really really important in in building relationships with residents and it's not a guarantee um you know you can be partially successful i'm partially successful it was certain certain people and um but you know i think providing that is really the first step and really making progress in terms of being able to um connect with people um I think everyone's approach is going to be a little bit different towards psychological safety. And I think for me, I like to, um, you know, admit my faults and and my mistakes um, as fast as I can, as transparently as I can. Mm. I like to um, share my perspective, the challenges that I'm faced with and, you know, kind of open the conversation up and, you know, try to be non-judgmental about what's being said to me, regardless of how I feel about it. Um, so that people feel comfortable coming to me and and discussing um, whatever it is maybe bothering you. And even simple things like um, giving feedback, negative feedback to a preceptor can be really challenging for some residents who um, or trainees who may be 
uh, may find it hard to uh, dissent and speak up about you know their issues. So I think really communication, transparency, psychological safety are all really, really important for for um, people to develop in order to, to begin to understand some of the challenges residents face and then sort of help them navigate through those solutions. Mm. Um, Eugene, one of the things I'm reflecting on, and, and this is maybe because I, I'm reflecting on like the closing of the chapter of my residency career and kind of the opening of of developing of preceptors and specialists and and other individuals but um as you talk like i have like kind of a script or like discussion points or things that we talk about when we talk about like high periods of volatility like i remember my first covid class and my second covid class and we 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 had explicit conversations about like, this is your career. And like, this is what it's going to look like. You know, I, I walked in one day and my boss is like, I know you're the pharmacy. Well, at the time I was the coordinator of education. And your job is to make sure that like everyone is educated and their needs are met and our preceptors are doing well. But today you're going to be our purchasing manager and you're going to have to deal with the 16 new drugs that went on shortage and the CPO is breathing down my neck about these 40 drugs. I need you to get hands-on counts. I need you to to come up with alternative plans and if needed, I need you to buy drug. And so like I had explicit words and explicit things I could say to them. And I'm curious how like in the times where maybe it's not like explicitly volatile but you know that there are general changes. Do you incorporate this conversation into discussions you have with your learners? I think you just stood all the hairs up in, a, in a Eugene's arms when you said the word drug shortage in the oncology world right now. Oh my but God. It's a great example, right? Like <laughs> Drug shortages, yeah. And I mean, in my world right now, right, like we have a few really big ones with the platinums and uh, methotrexate. Um, and so, you know, that's really challenging. Yeah. I mean, like there's going to be times where communication, the timeline isn't going to be what it is. And, you know, like I can think of an example where we were, you know, and I think one of the challenges that our center sometimes has, has had and, and across oncology is a problem is, is obviously there's a high demand for oncology pharmacists. Right. And so, um, you know, uh, like many centers out there, you know, we have open positions. We are a center that, um, you know, has proven our value and our worth, and we've turned and become essential for our, our teams that we serve. And so when people are not there um, and we have a shortage, um, you know, that can be really challenging because be people, um, people really um, want someone there. And so, we have to pivot really quickly and find coverage. And sometimes that means using the residents to, to do that. And with that, I think comes, you know, I think you have to solve problems for the day. Um, I think you have to work on this relationship more longitudinally. Um, but you also have to be transparent and taking the extra few minutes to say, Hey, I've been tasked with this. Um, and I need your help today, we can talk about more long-term solutions tomorrow, I think is also important. And the transparency mm. is 
I think, you know, the next key beyond, you know, having open conversations and trying to solve problems together, I think that that's, that's also really important. Um, if the environment is there and the, the historical context is there, I think that that ultimately helps. And I think that that's sort of where you're going with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eugene, if I'm hearing you correctly, what it sounds like you're saying is like in these situations, take the time to have the conversation about why. It's it's very much what Dave and I talk a lot about when we're talking about like creating a project or whatnot. We talk about like giving the learner just a little bit more information to understand why am I doing this? Why are you learning right. this? Why is this happening? Instead of just saying it's time for you to go move boxes because there's a shortage, taking the time to sit down and be like, why is this our job today? And how can we mitigate that in the future? Um, but I also think about like uh, one of the things that I experienced, right? Like I was a purchaser for like four months, uh, clearly outside <laughs> of like my background, but I learned so much in a really short period of time and not just things that were purchasing valuable I learned about managing Excel. I learned about database assessments. I learned about how our analytics department functions. And I learned about how they model COVID uh, peaks and like what data sources they use for that. And like, I think one of the like positive sides to this volatility is that it can really broaden your exposure. What are some of your experiences or, or how do you maybe like frame this to your residents? Like there's some good things to this. Yeah, you know, I think that that's a really good question too, right? And um, I think there is a lot of a lot of trainees try to focus on this on the idea of, you know, I'm here to learn, and so like, what's what kind of what's in it from a learning perspective, and and you know, uh, certainly something that I've noticed um, over the the last few years is you know, kind of more of an appreciation of the the assignments and what the the kind of connection towards whatever professional goals that they have. So, I, you know, I think that, you know, in, in some cases, those things just, it, it's it's sometimes hard to explain what people will pick up. Everyone will pick up things in different ways. And, you know, I think we as a, as a program have tried to kind of expand in as many directions as possible and give everyone kind of a survey. And so, you know, we do have, um, you know, we have a fairly um, extensive involvement in, in, in our central pharmacy. You know, they have admin rotations and we're trying to pull them into uh, administrative and operational challenges so that they're able to pick those things up and, and see um, some of those things. But I think, you know, still, despite that, I know that there have been um, situations and people that may not necessarily see the value right away in what they're doing, even as they're going through that. And I, you know, you're you're retrospectively looking back and you're saying, oh, yeah, I picked this mm-hmm. up. I picked up that 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 up. But, you know, in the moment, you may not have been as appreciative of that. Um, and I think that it's important to kind of circle back around at the end and, and and talk about these things and what that really means. And so, you know, I think the feedback discussion at the end of the year is sort of that, you know, we'll hear about like nightmare projects and, and runaway outcomes and things like that and say, well, actually this is um, the value um, and this is things that you picked up. And so, you know, I don't think that in the moment, 
you can get away from frustration sometimes. Mm -hmm. I think it's retrospectively. I had a DUE last year that I was doing about infusion times, chair times with uh, Daratumumab and our our institution. And, you know, I think um, the resident that did it really, he did a really, really great job on it. And we had a lot of talks about, you know, the goal of the DUE is not necessarily the outcome or what we set out to do, but it was also about how we got the information. What are the systems in place? What did we learn about our capability and our and our capacity to to find this data to to analyze it? What are the strengths and weaknesses? And you know, from a project standpoint, that's pretty valuable because you're taught you know early on that in, in terms of projects, you know, like you want to have significant results and you know you want to find something useful or meaningful. But I think you know the journey is is also as valuable as the um, outcome. Yeah, I mean, you're you're spot on, and and Eugene, and and I can't help but think of some of these other examples, right? As as they're, you know, that these examples are flying through my head. I mean, I I I remember one example specifically too of, you know, one of the challenges that I I faced during the peak of the COVID pandemic um, at at BMC was we were I was challenged by our our chief pharmacy officer to say, hey, David, I need you to take over our our COVID initiative and really figure out how do how do we screen better how do we treat patients faster and make sure they're getting equitable care for covid right and you know at the time couple that with with staffing shortages the great migration whatever you want to call it right we are the pharmacy departments are are all pretty much capped right and you know when i i remember going to jason very very specifically and and saying jason i i think we might need to incorporate the residents here maybe he had the idea to to incorporate the residents and you know we started we started i thinking of about in, the, in the, we had two residents, Danielle and Jordan, who who we identified early on as being on administrative rotations and how we can kind of start to adapt this. And in that time, when we said, "Hey guys, we need your help to support COVID," you know, the the first gut reaction is is a, is the most drastic eye roll you could possibly Why imagine. Why me? Why am I doing this? And then you know, I I, I, I had this a rotation. I had this conversation with Jason. It's all about the why, like the why. And and we started to explain that, right? And sit them both down and say, you know, this is why it's an adaptable time. But not only that and fixing the immediate, and and Eugene, you hit this before, it's thinking about the long-term downstream implications of what you are doing now. And and furthermore, they learned adequate skills of of how to adapt. They learned skills like writing up a manuscript and and learning about this process and and a quality improvement piece. And ultimately, it turned into a a publication that they were able to take with them and ultimately say, I face an acute issue. I was adaptable. I was in this. And, you know, as pharmacists, I arguably think part of our job and practice is to publish how we're adapting to a lot of the struggles that can be translated to other similar situations. I'm not saying another COVID outbreak is going to happen, but the fact of like another big change and how we we adapt to that. And I think at the end of the, the conversation, I'd like to, I, at least I'd like to think both Jordan and Danielle felt a lot of value out of this and, and saw the appreciation and value and ultimately tease it up for how are we going to, how can they teach that fundamental process to their generation of learners and, and start to impact and start to use that approach for when they graduate and start teaching their preceptors this approach of of, of value-based precepting. Yeah. I'm going um, to yeah. coin that term. 
Well, well, and I think that that's, you know, I think that that's really important. I, I, you know, if any of any of my ex-residents ever listen to this, uh, they may roll their eyes, but I always say that like the easy thing to teach is the oncology. Um, And, you know, it's everything else that you kind of have to learn. And um, during training, during residency, during your rotations, whatever it is, if you don't go to residency or fellowship, you know, I think it's those soft skills that are really important to practice and focus on and do it while you're under an, an umbrella of a residency or a training or whatever, you know, jump right in, take, take risks, be bold, speak up. These things are much easier to um, handle and navigate when someone's behind you supporting you. And you know, I think that that, that kind of goes along with that psychological safety and, and transparency and open communication and that support. So they feel comfortable making those jumps. They feel comfortable about giving feedback. And, you know, sometimes uh, their first go is is kind of a hard landing. They kind of mess up. They, you know, people say things that they don't don't mean to. And, you know, it goes from there. But, you know, at least it's an, it's an attempt to to find a good way to communicate, find a good way to troubleshoot and problem solve. It's a good way to really learn some of the things that I think are, you know, as important as the the clinical stuff that they're learning. I mean, you, yeah, I mean, Eugene, that was one of my philosophies always as an RPD, right? Like everyone, I, th- I think like, right. When, when I, when I think back to when I was looking at residency, you know, residency is made to improve my clinical skills. And I am, I need to know every bit of a single trial. I, I totally agree with you that that's the easy stuff, right? Anyone can like learn stuff over time and, and arguably knowledge based stuff, but it's the application. If you look at it from a clinical world, it's, it's how you're adapting to the, the, the operational challenges. And I, Ultimately, I think that's what residency really teaches you, right, is how to be, you know, we, we do all of these projects, right, a residency or a research project or a quality improvement project, MUEs, P&T presentations, but that and, and the how to do that, not just the fact of doing it is really, I think, mm-hmm. what teaches people success and how to pivot and be successful. I'd actually, yeah. I'd actually say that's hard to teach, dude. What you're saying is teaching culture. Right. Like um, <laughs> you're like uh, and without explicitly saying it, sometimes it's really hard. I actually was just thinking about this because I was reading an, an article about like uh, some of the things the Navy SEALs say. And I, I think one of the things that they one of their like catchphrases is, quote unquote, full benefit. Right. So like they come up against the absolute shittiest situation. And then it starts to pour rain on top of it. They'll look at each other and say full benefit. And the the thing is like to reframe the mind to what are the benefits of this really terrible situation right this minute. And Mm -hmm. it's like an organization that has done a really good job of instilling that culture of like, you Mm -hmm. can't control everything. What can I get out of this? And like, as I'm reflecting on this, I'm realizing like, I like, while I do have some explicit conversations, I haven't built a culture around it. And like there might be some value in intentionally building culture around adaptability, around like facing mm-hmm. adversity and complexity. Eugene, what what are what's like your take on that? Yeah, that, right. I, I think 
you you know that's an that's an interesting way to look at it. Full benefit. I, I have to. I think I'm going to have to start using that a little bit. Um, you know, I think we we do need to look at that. Look at challenges as that. And like I said before, you know, I think every challenge that we have is an opportunity to move things forward. It's 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 a way to evolve the profession. It's a way to make tomorrow better. And, you know, without the experience of knowing how to navigate people, without the experience of knowing how to navigate these very complex, dynamic situations, um, it becomes really, really hard. Um, And, you know, you certainly, again, don't don't know what the uh, response will be for speaking up or speaking out or critiquing somebody. It could be uh, completely negative where it's raining on you, like you're saying in the mud, um, or it could, you know, it could break or the rain would, would be necessary for you to, you know, avoid and stay undercover. Um, so, you know, I think, uh, to that extent, we're, we're talking a little bit more into, you know, I think how pharmacists are, um, very traditionally, um, I think a little bit conservative. I think we're also very, um, and to use another term I like to use is like perfect being the enemy of good, um, where we want perfection. We want things a certain way and anything less than that is, is not acceptable. And, you know, certainly with, you know, if you think about verifying orders and checking prescriptions, you want to be perfect, right? But it's, it's just not possible. So I think looking for these opportunities, being aware that there's ambiguity, that there's a chance of volatility, um, and taking the opportunities as they come is really something that's really important. Um, you know, and again, um, the way to do that is really to 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 try and build the culture around it, to not emphasize on mistakes that are made, to instead promote the discussion of complicated situations. Uh, and not, you know, approaching things in a very punitive way. I love that idea, Eugene. Um, as, as we start to think about, like, winding down a little bit, are, are there three action items that you would want to maybe give to learners listening or educators, preceptors, RPDs? What are things, three actions that they could maybe take to their shop to start bringing about more agility to handle the VUCA, the volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity of life as a pharmacist. Yeah, I know we touched a lot on uh, transparency and openness, and I think that that's one of them. Um, I don't think that um, not much has to be said more about that. I think another one that we uh, maybe haven't talked um, enough about is putting ourselves in other people's shoes. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that this goes back to, um, and, you know, we are talking about sociopolitical issues and, you know, black lives matter comes to mind for me is understanding kind of sort of, you know, the challenges that other people are facing. Um, they're not our reality, but they may be someone else's reality. And, um, even when you're upset, even when you're frustrated, you know, take a step back, appreciate that perspective, um, and realize that most people are trying to do a good job and want to be liked and want to be appreciated and all of that, um, and give that that lane of opportunity to understand maybe their perspective. Um, hey, I, I love that one, Eugene. I just got a 
call call that out. I mean, it, it's so important. I know we didn't talk a, a ton about it in the in the in the last thirty to forty minutes here, but I, I really think that that's an effective strategy, right? Is like understanding everyone is different, right? And everyone is going to have a different challenge in their in their day to day. And sometimes as preceptors, you just have to take a step back and say, okay, this is going to be a different challenge, and you don't know what that person is going through. Yeah, yeah. I I, I mean, I I fully. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that that was something that really was impactful for me and in, in a lot of ways, um, seeing things in, in, in a different perspective. Um, and, you know, I think with that, you know, realizing that, um, and this is something that I think I hinted at in, in, in a lot of ways, this, this uh, little bit of time is also talking and thinking that like, you're not going to be perfect. Like, as I said, I'm an observer and, you know, I'm learning this as I go and, um, doing my best to improve everyone's agility and and to improve um, the the our ability to respond to challenges and realize that mistakes are going to be happening and you also have to have a little bit of humility and understanding that um, your first go is not going to be exactly perfect and that you'll have to come back and and try and try again and you know uh, you guys are both RPDs and. You know, I think the most common question I get asked on interviews is what changes have you implemented this past year based on feedback, <laughs> right? Like that's the number one question. And if anyone, and, and if there are any candidates listening to this, um, if people say that they don't have things that they changed or that they kind of find some change that was positive and still positive, um, you know that they're lying because we all have problems and, you know, we can talk on, on, on this, this podcast. Um, but we all know that there are opportunities for all of our programs to get better and having that humility, um, I think is the first step forward. Absolutely. You couldn't have put three better, better comments and action items in, in a row. I, I really think that sums up this, this, this VUCA world incredibly nicely for, for our preceptor. So I, I, a couple of comments. One, thank you, Eugene, for for all of your commentary here. I know you you, you continue to plug yourself and, and be the humble person and say you're not an expert, but your view is definitely appreciated for us. Um, we also have two, fi- well, we usually ask our, our listeners, uh, ask our guests one final question on the podcast. You're going to get two, though. First question is going to be the softball, and I don't think we actually said your last name once on this episode and i think it was because both jason and i did not want to mispronounce your name uh yeah so please <laughs> for the listeners what's your yeah, full legal you know, name eugene well that's a, that's an interesting story too um so it's it's press um officially um it was lengthened when uh, my wife and i got married um uh, as it turns out, my my grandfather shortened my last name on my father when he was in high school, mm. so that it didn't sound as Polish. Mm. Um, so when we got married, I was able to change my name legally, and so I kind of undid that stuff as you know, kind of a sign of the changing times. Absolutely, Eugene Presbolewski. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us here on Precept Responsibly. Oh, and thanks for and the other and the other questions the one we always ask all of our guests is, and that is um what is one thing that you had from a preceptor 
that you continue to take and use in your practice? And this could be positive and or constructive. Yeah. Um, I think about the time when I didn't match in pharmacy school and um, I went to the associate dean's office in my school and, you know, I was talking about, you know, kind of that, that kind of crushing weight and what that meant. And, you know, I had said something like, I'll, I'll settle on retail. Um, and he stopped me and he said, don't settle. And I think that that's the quote that kind of resonates with me to today um, is not to settle and to keep going, keep mm. trying, find a different way. Um, and, you know, I think um, I think it was really impactful on, you know, where I am today. resonates quite strongly with me as well eugene that's a uh great example thank you for sharing um have you ever told a learner that don't settle i i do um <laughs> i i think that it's really it's really important um you know and it, it doesn't have to apply to pharmacy like not mm. not everyone wants to be a uh you know uh, an rpd or a clinical director or uh executive right um it could be on you know your life's passions um but still you know take the opportunity keep going make the most of this that's great thank you eugene for sharing if our audience wants to ask additional questions or keep the conversation going or um silently stalk you on twitter because you have good content uh what's the <laughs> best way for folks to to get in touch to keep that conversation going etc yeah no you can follow me on twitter you can also you know um hit me up on linkedin or email me um i know my last name is long and and hard to pronounce um i get that um and so my my twitter handle is uh at drrx4l or drrx4l great uh we'll include that in the show notes as long as well as a link to your twitter and your linkedin profile uh that way if uh people want to know how to spell eugene press Bolesky, they will yeah, be able to find it well again eugene it's always a pleasure talking to you thank you for for jumping on today it's been a great conversation and i know every time i do these episodes i always learn stuff for myself um so again thank thank you for for on behalf of precept responsibly and all our listeners until next time hope you all enjoyed today's episode we thank you for listening uh, i just want to remind people if you have an idea for an episode or you want to drop an audio comment or question uh you know record yourself 30 seconds uh, on your phone send it to us uh, at precept responsibly at gmail.com we also are on social media twitter instagram linkedin Find all of our episodes on your favorite podcast providers. We also have these as videos on YouTube. Today's episode was produced by Spencer Sutton. Music by Alex Grohl. That's it for Precept Responsibly. I'm Jason Mordino. And I'm Dave Hughes. Until next time, thanks all for listening. Oh, man, I get to plug him. He's on mute. Yeah, <laughs> the first mute. time. <laughs> uh, all right, you got me. Um, Eugene, yeah, I like... Uh...